How's everybody today? You good? All right. Well, we're going to have our uh, Nicaragua team come up here and share for a moment. There's our leader right here. They were gone for 10 days-ish. Yeah. Also, welcome back, Don and Maricel from the Philippines. Good to have you back. All right, Teresa, here you go. What can I say? Well, first of all, I didn't do my laundry last night, so I don't look like these guys. And she has a special story about her shirt. Um, so there was a saying there that went there, did that, got the t-shirt. But I want you to know that's not these people. And I had a dream team. I'm not kidding you. If the world were to choose a team, we probably wouldn't have got chosen. <laughs> but Jesus said, go. And in your brokenness, I'm going to help you serve. And I'm telling you, I kind of went like, I, I'm leading a team. Where are those people? I mean, they're here, but they're all doing their job. I didn't have, it was amazing. And I was worried. <laughs> well, we found out there's a different kind of rain in Nicaragua, it rains mangoes. <laughs> they, were, they had the, all these buildings with metal roofs and all of a sudden you hear, bam, you're like, and it would be a mango and it would run down and hey, here you go, have a mango if you want. But there was one time it almost hit me in the head. So not sure what that would do for me, but thank goodness I heard it coming. Um, uh, okay, just sit here. We did see some great things happening. We had four people heal, healed. One of them was me, and we weren't praying for healing. We were washing each other's feet. Lucinda was washing my feet, and I'm like, my hand doesn't hurt. Any oh my goodness, my hand doesn't hurt anymore. And it's like, and then we had, um, another, and most of them are on the team. <laughs> we got healed. There's like, another lady had heel spurs, stopped hurting. And who was the third one on the team? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, all four of them were on the team. A doctor came with a shoulder pain and, and got healed. And then the guy who was the lead, his son plays soccer. Well, his adopted Nicaraguan son was playing soccer. And we, we literally walked on to see him and he got knocked down and, and was diagnosed as breaking his elbow and went to the hospital. They found x-rays. He had a broken elbow. They put him in, in a sling and... Then the next day they went to a different hospital and three other doctors said, yep, you got a broken arm, got a broken arm. And then they had one more thing done and they were praying for him obviously and they can't find the fracture anymore. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, we had 34 people saved and gave out a thousand Bibles. We didn't do that, but the other rest of the team did that. We joined another team from, well, we had from um, Ohio, um, Kentucky, Virginia, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah, from all over the country. Um, but a thousand Bibles, and uh, we saw 394 patients in four days. Yeah, that's a, just so you know, that's a lot of people. They told us we were supposed to see a thousand, and I went like, what? I'm leaving now. But we saw 394. And it, the, there was a couple days where we got a little tired. Like there were some of us that got a little heat exhaustion. And um, so the last day I'm like, Lord, 
I know this is a lot to ask, but could you make it cooler? And maybe we wouldn't have to work so long because the plan was for us to work that long. Guess what happened? Uh, we didn't have to work that long. And uh, it was cooler. Well, okay, yeah, because there was this giant rainstorm that came. Like, she says, hey, it's kind of raining a little bit. And the guy goes, oh, just a little cloud. And literally, like, what, less than a, yeah, 10 seconds later, it was like someone opened up a faucet. And within about five minutes, we had like six inches of water on the ground. And we were all stuffed in a 10 by 12 room after that. Yeah, it was great fun. <laughs> it really was. One of the things that um, was said, and I want to challenge you, was um, what, what's stopping you from fulfilling the Great Commission? What's stopping you from spreading the gospel? And that was really convicting for some, well, for me, I don't know about you guys, but thinking, what does stop me from spreading the gospel? And it was a challenge. And they invited us back next year. So I have some other people to say some stuff, but one thing I wanted, to, wanted you to know is that God taught me how to, how to hear his voice. Because sometimes, you know, you don't hear it, or you hear it, but you're think, you don't think who that is. We were supposed to buy gifts for people there. Um, our angel, or we had another person on the team where you were supposed to encourage all week. And so I'm in Walmart looking for stuff. I'm like, I don't even know this person. I mean, I have a name, that's it. And I walk by the sidewalk chalk and I'm going, really, you want me to buy sidewalk chalk? It's like, this is a full grown adult. I'm buying sidewalk chalk for them? And I walked away and it was almost like he like yelled at me, go back and buy the chalk. Okay, I'll go buy the chalk. So buy the chalk. Um, and I, when I gave it to her the next, that day she brought, she goes, look it, look what happened. And Oh, Bill says, there's no sidewalks in Nicaragua. That's what he said. I'm like, well, they could maybe draw on the wall or something. But there are sidewalks. And so she showed me how they played hopscotch and drew on the sidewalks. So I was supposed to be listening. And the, um, oh, the other one was there was a guy, or we had wound care, but we didn't take it with us. So one morning I wake up and I hear God say, take the wound kit. Okay. And this guy comes in, only one guy, all day, and he has a wound from his knee to his ankle. And um, so we, the doctor took care of him, and, and I walked over, and I said, do you know how much God loves you? Because he woke me up, and he told me to bring wound care. And, and that means he sees you, and he knows who you are. Um, and it kind of made me feel like, too, God knows who I am. Let's see what else. do 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 I guess that's it. Well, Dwayne has, Dwayne was on a different team. All of us were on medical. Dwayne was on construction. I don't know if uh, Tr uh, Teresa mentioned that, that there was 34 salvations. Oh, I didn't say that. And there were eight recommitments as well during the time that we were there. Now, I was on the construction team and We came in to a piece of land that just had a metal structure of pretty much four vertical and then a roof with a slanted and a tin corrugated uh, galvanized sheet metal on the roof and only two sides were, well, partially two sides were covered. And that was our church. We came in 
and the plan was to put uh, to make 35 foot walls we got three of them they were done and I, I asked a question to the Lord what is it you want me to see here what is it what is the message and it was all about foundation and when we walked into this there was no concrete poured there was nothing we had to make it we had to mix our own concrete we had to mix our own motor we had to create our own well we had the rebar delivered with the rings and we had to tie it and create structures so literally learned how to build walls from the ground up footings pillars and then lay block and then they have a once you get six block high then you have a what they call a biga which ties in the block and the pillars and the foundation and then we had enough to we thought we were going to have a short day on uh, the day before going and nope we ended up having to uh, lay two more layers of block, which put it over six feet high. And so we had three walls, and the two walls that were facing the street were not finished per se because they have more plans to expand that, that building. They just didn't have the money to get uh, that far. But we were also told that they had four other groups prior to us in construction they didn't get as much as they would like it done and our group there was five, uh, four men and one nurse that wanted to come and learn a new skill and we just mingled beautiful we looked out after each other uh, when one, one looked like they were getting um, tired another would step in regardless of what job it was and these guys uh, Marcos was the leader of the, the contractor and he says you guys rocked it because we had never gotten this far with any group even the size even your size so God willing it happened and now they have a, a nice structure to work with and to go from there but the the word about foundation is 50% of Nicaraguan people are Christian they know God, but the message I got from God was God's getting ready to build a new foundation or rebuild what was there for the whole world. This was just a sample. Thank you. Thank you. Lucinda doesn't like to talk, but she asked to. Okay, well, I first went to Nicaragua on a mission trip uh, seven years ago. Um, it was the year after my husband had died. And I don't know if part of it was my heart wasn't in the right place to go. But I came back from that trip and I basically just felt disappointed. Here, there, everybody else was all excited about all the wonderful things that God had used them to do. And I just felt, what was that all about, God? You know, what, what really got <laughs> done? Um, 
so when Teresa, when I first heard about this trip, I thought, you know, been there, done that. I had the, another T-shirt, <laughs> and I kind of was hesitant to to, to go. Um, but my daughter Ella encouraged me to go, and I prayed about it, and I thought, okay, I think maybe there's something unfinished that God wants me to go back and and do. Um, so I went with the medical team. Um, Darlene and I did the pharmacy. We handed out the medications after the doctors had seen the patients. Um, and it was just so fulfilling for me. I'm just so glad that I was obedient and went. Um, so I would encourage anyone, if maybe they'd had a similar experience, to just really listen to God and um, be encouraged. Um, boy, another highlight for me this time was the worship. It was just incredible to worship with the Nicaraguan people. Um, I brought my scarves and I worshipped in the back with my scarves and it was just so beautiful to hear worship to God and they, they did part of it in English and part of it in Spanish and just to, to worship with people from around the world who love the Lord. It was wonderful. Um, and I think those are my main things. Oh, and the, another thing that really touched me was at the end of each day, you know, the pastors would, were so appreciative of what we had, the little bit really, we'd been able to do for their people. And that last day when the pastor was talking to you, Teresa, I happened to be kind of behind there. And it was just, it made me cry that he was so thankful um, that we were able to be there and, and just what a, a blessing we had been. So yeah, I'm just really glad I went. <laughs> Okay, so I have two quick stories to tell. The first one um, is one of the last days of clinic. Um, I was really struggling. I was very sick. Um, I had heat exhaustion. I had a 102.9 fever, I think, and um, everybody was worried about me, and I kind of pushed through until about lunchtime, and I said, I, I, I can't work anymore, and I had to go sit in the van for the rest of the day, and I'm sitting out there and I'm shaking and I'm in pain because my body hurts so bad and I, I feel just really sick and, and I'm mad and I'm sad and I'm frustrated because I'm like, man, I just wanted to finish off this trip on a good note. And I'm like, why am I so sick like this? You know, it's not fair. And these two boys kept walking by the door and they, they'd look at me and smile and and, you know, I was like, I think I'm supposed to talk to them, but I really don't want to talk to them because I'm so sick, you know. But finally, you know, I was like, hola. And they're like, hola. And we're, we start communicating with my phone through Google Translate. And the first thing he says to me was, the heat is rich. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. But those boys, we, I got to know them for three and a half hours. They st stayed by my side. And... Um, I actually got to go to his house. He, so he went to that church that we were doing clinic at and um, um, he took me to his house, which was just a few doors down. And so, you know, I told him like, when I come back next time, I, I know where you live now, I can come find you. And, um, and what, his mom was helping out at the clinic that day and she was kind of scolding the boys like, I told them to leave you alone. I, you know, you were sick, we wanted you to rest. And I said, no, you have no idea what they did for me they cheered me up and brought me so much joy. And um, I've actually been communicating with one of the boys through um, a social media app um, every day. So that, that's really cool. And so I'm practicing my Spanish. Um, the second story is about this t-shirt. 
And one of the doctors, the Nicaraguan doctors, Dr. Marta, was wearing it the last day. And she comes up to me, and she's hugging me. And I was like, oh, your T-shirt's cute. And, you know, what does this mean? And um, it's like uh, Christian Medical Action Nicaragua. And she's telling me about the organization and that the government had, you know, shut it down. But this was a shirt from that time that she worked with that organization. So the translator then tells me, he goes, so she's going to give you her shirt. And I go, she's wearing it. <laughs> and he goes, no, she's going to go back to her room and go get it. And I was so honored that the shirt was damp and sweaty and stains on it and coffee spilt down the front. And I was like, okay, give me your shirt, you know. <laughs> so she comes to my room and um, she, she hands me her shirt and she starts, there's no interpreter at this time, but she starts um, talking to me in Spanish. I don't know what I hear she, she's saying, but she, I hear the word stethoscope. And I remember the night before that Teresa had said that when we come back next time that we need to bring the doctors um, some medical equipment because theirs isn't very good. But she's looking at me. She wants my stethoscope. And I'm having this internal battle. I'm like, I don't want to give her my stethoscope. That stethoscope's expensive, and I want to keep it, and I might need it. And, <laughs> you know, but then finally I start digging through my, my luggage, and I hand her my stethoscope, and she was so gracious. And, and then I'm sitting there, and she's still staring at me, and I look at my blood pressure cuff, and I'm like, here. And she's like, thank you, thank you. And, and then I have my oximeter, and I'm like, here. <laughs> so I basically gave all my medical equipment to her for my shirt. <laughs> and, and I feel so blessed to have done that so that she can use that to help other people in Nicaragua. Absolutely. Well, unbeknownst to me, I'm packing, I'm packing. And the, other, the night before when they made the comment that they needed new equipment and specifically stethoscopes, right? Because their stethoscope looked like something that came out of a kid's child thing, right? I heard God say, give her your stethoscope. I'm not giving her my stethoscope. I go back to my room and I'm like, but that day I'm packing and I'm like, okay, God, if she's still here, when I'm all done, I will give her my stethoscope. And then he said, go now. I'm like, okay, I'm going, I'm going, right? I run out there. Now she's run, now I have to chase her across the street because she's walked across the street. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> And I handed her my stethoscope. There's two doctors. They're Dr. Marta and Dr. Roberto. And even though they spoke a foreign language, oh my goodness, they were teasers. Yeah. And you could tell what they, were, that what they were talking about even without a translator. So the only thing I want to leave you with is the vision they have for their area. So this was, there's um, Sylvia and Radhus are the, I think they're like the district supervisors for Foursquare there. There is a, what was our, an orphanage that was um, originally built by New Song, which was the people we went with, that was closed down by the government um, when they changed to whoever the guy is now, Ortega or something. Anyway, and they took all the orphans away. Well, there's property. They have try they're trying to turn into a conference center. In February, they had 160 pastors from all over Nicaragua that came and got training and had a conference. But there, there was more that needed to come but there was no room so they have this building in the back it was the bakery it's a giant concrete building with nothing in it except for stuff i mean stuff from the orphanage and their vision is to make that into a another three dorm building with a, a, a meeting room and then they have other visions there we 
I feel like we should somehow get involved in that. That's just my challenge to you. Um, <laughs> whether it's building or sending money or whatever, um, so that they can continue to grow with, with their pastors. Um, all the churches we went to were tiny, like, like very little, especially the last one. That was, in fact, the last one we went to was a woman, a single mom, who was letting the pastor use her church, her build her home as the church. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so come talk to anybody because we got lots of pictures. Those are just a, a part of them. missions trip. You should do that. If you haven't gone, pray. start praying about it now. There's another one coming up in the spring. Building a home. And women are invited this time. So, there you go. So, if you were complaining that women couldn't go, I want to see you sign up. All right, we're going to get into the word. Uh, I want to give you another quick building update, building project update. We're asking you this uh, summer as you're out here to be intentional about praying for the project, for the property. There's signs out in the parking lot. They're kind of mapping out the building a little bit. Stop by one of those signs, pray over the building. Uh, We we got our uh, updated uh, wetland report and we're going to be uh, applying here this coming week for our variants, and we have to go to the hearing examiner. I don't know who that is or what they do, uh, but uh, pray for favor with the hearing examiner because they—that's the person who uh, apparently can approve uh, the plan so that we can keep moving forward uh, and get going on permits and building and all that kind of stuff. So, um, God, God. Uh, last week I said God still moves the hearts of kings. And uh, I believe he still moves the hearts of hearing examiners too. So let's pray for that person, whoever they are, and, uh, and pray for favor this week. And the next week, I don't know how long their process takes. Uh, my guess is longer than I want it to. So um, <clears throat> that's kind of been the trend. So, uh, but pray, and, and I'll let you know what happens with that once we get, we get there. So I, I expect good news. Uh, we're going to dig into Ezra 9 today. Uh, we have two weeks left on this series that we started a while ago, and uh, this is the Sacred Ground series we've been studying in the book of Ezra. Building the Sacred Ground is God's calling us to break ground in our lives this year. It begins with the Sacred Ground, the spiritual places, building the temple of our lives. This is about spiritual renewal and priorities and and true groundbreaking in your life. If you've got things in your life that you want to see God do something with, it begins in the spiritual places. And so as we open up Ezra 9, I want to remind you that things are actually going great with, uh, with the people. The second group of exiles has returned uh, out of captivity back to the land of Judah to go and uh, to see the temple. The temple's up and running. The people have favor. Ezra's delivered the offerings. Everything's going great. Don't you love those days? Do you ever have those days where everything's just going awesome? You're like, it just works out. I went to get an oil change yesterday, and they said, there's no wait. I mean, that never happens. So it's like the best day. I, I don't know. Just simple things like that make me happy. Uh, but when you, when, you, when you have things that are just, everything's working, but then everything's working, and then Ezra gets bad news. They ever had one of those days? 
where you're like, oh, not this. I thought it was all going so good. So here's what we find out in Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 through 2. After all these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the land with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. So the problem is, is that the, the people that had returned to the homeland, they have mixed themselves up with the people of this land. They had returned to their homeland. They found other people living in it. It, it would be like you went on vacation for 70 years and you get home and someone else is in your house. Someone else is living there. So in this land, people were there. And some of the people that have come back, the people who came to worship God and to be uh, devoted to God, they had married the people into the land. And it says that the, some of the officials and the leaders were the worst offenders of this. The people in charge were the worst offenders. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? So they found wives and they married them. I think that's a good life plan is just find someone, get married. But the, the deal is that it says here is that they were of a different race. And so I wonder why just because they were a different race, couldn't they, why couldn't they get married to them? They weren't supposed to get married to someone of a different race. So the first thing, let's get out of the way. The question is, is God racist? I mean, I, I mean when you read the text, you've got to ask yourself that question, right? Is God racist? Because the problem is, is that they've married people of different races. And people with really, really bad theology uh, who don't understand the heart of God might say so. But the truth is, God is absolutely not racist. Not even a little bit. That would be a terribly short-sighted, twisted interpretation of this scripture. And yet I'm sure someone has taken it completely out of context and said something about that. If we go back to Ezra chapter 6, which we've read previously, we actually see that there were people that had married locals and it was fine. But in this situation, people had married locals and it wasn't fine. So you got to filter everything through this idea of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. God so loved who? Everybody. The entire world. Everybody. God's not racist. In fact, it was totally fine that they married the people of the land. It says in Ezra 6.21 that they came together in the temple worship and they took Passover together, which would be a religious meal celebrating what God had done when he set them free from slavery in Egypt. And it says in Ezra 6.21, the Passover meal was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, check, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanliness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. So we have people here of another race, the people of the land, who were being integrated into Israel's life, and that was acceptable in Ezra chapter 6, that they could make a decision to devote themselves to the ways of God, and they could be included. It was not an issue of race. It was not an issue of skin color. It was not an uh, issue of ethnicity or an issue of 
tribe. If that's not the case, then why didn't God want the holy race to mix with the other people? What's the big deal? And we find the answer in verse 10 of Ezra chapter 9. It says this, And now our God, what shall we say after all this? We have forsaken your commandments, which you have commanded by your servant the prophet, saying, The land that you are entering to take possession of it, it is a land impure with the impurity of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations that have filled it from the end to end with their uncleanliness. Therefore, do not give your daughters to their sons, neither take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of, good of the land and leave it for inheritance to your children forever. God's concern was that they were entering into a covenant relationship with the people who would drag them away. These instructions actually are given several times throughout Israel's history. This is really in Ezra 9. It's a, Ezra is praying to the Lord and he's repeating back to the Lord a recap of what the Lord has commanded his people. And what the Lord had commanded his people early in Israel's history, we go all the way back to Exodus 34, when he freed them from slavery. And he warned them, don't get tangled up in these other people groups. All these, all these ites, all these parasites that we see in there, which is like what they were, like spiritual parasites. They were robbing people of their spiritual inheritance. God, if you go back to Exodus 34 and read that chapter, what you find is that God is, says, don't get tangled up with these other groups. Here's why in Exodus 34, 12, take care lest you make a covenant, a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. See, God's concern was that entering into covenant would become a snare. And so when Ezra's presented with this issue in Ezra 9, that literally they've entered into marriage covenant with the people of this land, and that people of the land had become a snare to God's people. That's different than the people that we read about in Ezra 6. Those people had entered into a covenant, and they had really written off their old way of life, and they integrated into God's full way of living. And here is Ezra 9, the people that they had married were immoral, they worshiped false gods, they practiced idolatry. And the true issue was that God's people were being drawn away from holiness. They were being drawn away from holiness. They were drawn away from being set apart. Have you noticed in your world that you live in, that there is a culture that wants to pull you away from holiness? Have you found that to be true? I mean, you don't, you don't need to look too far. You can just open up your phone and open up any social media app and you realize this can easily pull me away from being set apart. Being, set away, being pulled away from holiness. And we find in chapter 10, and we're going to get to chapter 10 a little bit next week, but they actually had to do an investigation in chapter 10, and it took a while. And the investigation was to determine the difference between those we read about in Ezra 6.21 and those we read about in Ezra 9. So they actually led an investigation to figure out, let's take a look at each one of these situations. They looked at every single marriage, and they tried to figure out What's going on here? Is the person being led into the world or is the person being led into the way of God? 
Had these wives from other lands surrendered their lives to the way of God, or were they pulling their husbands away from God? The reason this was important to deal with is because this is what got Israel into their mess in the first place. And this is why Ezra is so distraught. Next week, we're going to look a little bit into why Ezra was so distraught and what he did about this. I mean, he was really messed up when he heard this. You, you, might, you might hear this and go, oh, they didn't make a great choice in a wife or a husband and go, that's unfortunate. But Ezra hears this, I mean, it's just over for him. He's grieving and mourning and fasting because what he realizes is that these very issues are what got Israel into captivity in the first place. I mean, they had been in captivity for 70 years. They finally are free. It's like 80 years later, and he's going, here we go again. Here we go again. We're going to get drawn right back into the world. We're going to get drawn right back into compromising what God's called us to do in our lives. And it was these customs and these idols and these things that they were getting pulled into that was the problem that got Israel in trouble in the first place. And I just hear Ezra saying, you guys, we just got redeemed from this mess. What are you doing? What are you doing? We just got ourselves right. We're just getting back to, we're called to be different. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be separate. And yet here we are back at it again. And we see this in Israel's history over and over where they, they kept going back into these cycles. And it's easy for us to point fingers at Israel and go, how could you go back to these old cycles? How could you go back to these old wells? How could you keep getting me drawn back into the things of this world? And yet when we look in the mirror and we reflect on ourselves, we might see some similarities. And we have the Holy Spirit to empower us, to transform us, and they just had the rules, the law. We have a much better chance than they do. And yet we walk into these same issues and these same things. We are called to be separate, to be separate. I want to talk to you about being separate this morning for just a few moments. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 1 through 6, the Lord is very clear with Israel regarding the lands that they are to go into. And he says in, in this chapter in, in Deuteronomy 7, he says in verse 2, he says, don't make covenant with them. In verse 3, he says, don't marry them. In verse 4, he says, they're going to lead you away from me. And in verse 5, he says, break their altars and burn their idols. Break their altars and burn their idols. And then in verse 6, he says this, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. You see, God had a plan. He had a plan for a holy people. And here in Ezra 9, God said, we're going to stick to that plan. Even though Israel had forsaken him, even though he had redeemed them and he had returned them to the land of Judah, he said, we're going to keep you holy. And when we look at God's plan for holiness, it's not a plan that was just for such a time. It's God's plan for all time for his people. Isaiah actually prophesied the reestablishment of Israel, that they will rise again and that God's great promise would come through them. So for God, keeping them holy was of the utmost importance. We look at this as Ezra 9 and 10 and we go, man, this is cold. Like these people ended up leaving their wives and like, why, why would this happen? Well, see, God had a promise coming through a person named Jesus and he had a holy line. 
He had a set-apart line. He had a separate line, and it was a holy nation that God wanted to separate for himself. And God would create this holy people through the new covenant, a people who would determine in their hearts to be separate. And it couldn't be compromised again. They needed to be steadfast. And this promise and this purpose and this call to holiness didn't just end with the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7 or in Ezra chapter 9. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race. But you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And here's what I want you to know simply about this text this morning is this, is that you are chosen, that you are holy, that you have been made righteous, that you are the royalty of God, that you are wholly set apart, you are separate, you are his possession. That's what God's word tells us. See, we're apt to pray. It's real easy when you're sharing someone with Jesus and what do we say? Just pray, Jesus, come into my life. And I think that's a nice prayer, but I don't think it's the right prayer. Because I need Jesus in my life, but the right prayer we should be praying is, Jesus, I surrender my life. See, that's the gospel. See, the easy gospel is God loves you, and you just invite him to be a part of what you're doing. But the true gospel is to say, God, I surrender my life. I give you my life. I choose to be separate. I choose to be holy. I choose to lay my life down. We're going to be doing baptisms in a few weeks. And the symbolism of baptism is simply this. And if you've been baptized before, maybe you were young and this is resonating with you and you're saying, maybe I want to be baptized again. It's the symbolism of saying, I'm going to symbolically like Jesus, I'm going to go into the grave and the old man, the old woman is going to die and new life is coming up out of that grave. That's the symbolism of baptism. And so the, the purpose of the gospel is not to just say, God, will you come to this party with me? God, will you come out drinking with me? God, will you just hang out on my back deck? God wants to be with us, but he says, I want you to surrender. I want you to go to the grave and I want you to come out new because God has better for you than just, than just a miserable life in which you have someone to pray to. He has a new life in which you have communion with the Father. See, when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to separateness. Is saying, I will be separate. Jesus is returning for us. In Ephesians 5, he says he's returning for a spotless bride, a pure bride, a set-apart bride, a holy church, a separate church, one who is determined to be separate. And I wonder, how will he find his church when he returns? Jesus is coming back. And will the report to his ears be the same as the report to Ezra's. And I have to ask myself that question. We should all ask ourselves this question. If Jesus were to come back today and return, would he hear the report that Ezra heard? Jesus, your people have mixed in with the world. They've mixed in. They've adapted all of its customs. They're doing the things the way the world does. They're not separate. They're not set apart. They're getting pushed and pulled by its ways. They've bought what it's offered. They've served its idols and they're holding fast to it rather than holding fast to your ways. 
Is that what he'll hear or will he hear? No, your people have chosen to be holy. They've chosen to be separate, set apart, not of this world. It's a question we have to ask ourselves. And I think it's a question more than just, we ask more than once, but say, have I been compromised? Are there places in my life where I'm trying harder to fit into the world than I am trying to be set apart? See, if you want renewal in your life, if you want the sacred ground, if you want to break ground in your life, I just got to tell you the truth today. You got to be separate. You've got to be separate. You've got to be set apart. Ask yourself this morning, what is it that I need to be separate from? Will you stand with me and will you just... After you stand, will you just close your eyes? And I want us to just ask the Lord the simple question this morning. We just ask the Lord, say, God, is there anything I need to separate from today? Is there anything I need to separate from? Is it thought patterns? Are there thought patterns I need to separate from? Are there vices I need to separate from? Maybe people that aren't a good influence on my life that are pulling me away from you? Are there idols that I need to separate from? Maybe it's habits. Lord, what is it that you are calling us to be separate from, Lord? Would you show us the places where we've mixed in? Or you've just said, yeah, what the world has to offer is fine for me. Lord, we want better than that. We want more than that. We want all that you have for us. And so we say to you today, God, make us holy. Make us holy. If, you, if there's a place in your life, church, right now, or there's, there's things God's speaking to you right now through the Holy Spirit, or he's just convicting you in, in his loving way, where you say, God, there's things where he's just showing you there's some things I want you to separate from today. I want you to separate from that thing that you're, you're going to for peace. I want you to separate from that habit that you have. I want you to separate from the things that you're looking at, from the things you're consuming. If God's speaking to you today, will you just lift up your hands to him and surrender and say, God, I give it to you today. I give it to you today, God. I, I want to live separate. I want to live set apart. I want to live holy before you, God. Oh, God, look at us, God. Look at your people, God. See the cry of our heart, God. We want to be set apart for you. Lord, take the things that have captivated our hearts, Lord God, and replace them, Lord God, with a holiness, a, a, a desire for the things of you. Lord, take away, Lord, the things of this world that don't satisfy and fill them with the things of you. Your ways, your purposes, your call, your righteousness, your holiness. We receive your righteousness again today. Through the power of the cross, we receive your righteousness again today. We just declare, God, will you forgive us, God? Will you empower us by your Holy Spirit to live separate for you? In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's respond to the Lord and worship this morning.